Okay, so thank you today for being a part of our ministry and the battle is within. We are appreciative of all those who spend time and effort with us. Uh, we are know that sometimes we have struggle with technologies, we have struggles with other things. So we definitely appreciate you staying with us and being a part of our ministry. We're going to start with a word of prayer because without God's help, we can't do anything anyway. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity we have that we can come we can present your gospel through this medium we call the internet. Lord, I know sometimes it's flaky and jerks around, and sometimes Satan wants to use things to hinder us from being able to be successful. But Lord, we're going to find a way around that. We're going to use the technology to your purpose. So I thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. I pray now, Lord, that we set aside the things that be hinders us to, to be able to listen and learn and be able to focus in on your son and on your words that we can better understand it. Lord, we recognize the importance of understanding who Jesus is because that is what matters in this world is who Jesus is and how we respond to that knowledge. So again, thank you, Lord, for all you do for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. So we thank you so much again for being here today. Uh, let's remember, it's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, had our thing for whatever purposes, whatever issues there were. But uh, let's just review a moment. As we get ready to go into the temptation of Jesus, we need to review just a moment. Now, remember, uh, when we looked at the baptism, you have to look at the baptism before you look at the temptation. And the baptism, if you remember, was something I called the redemption contract. See, Jesus' baptism was more than just a simple sign for other people to follow. But instead, it was a contract. It was a contract between God, between Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. See, it was, it was a contract between them. Uh, the contract that Jesus signed through his actions was like this. So Jesus said, listen, I'm going to take the place of sinful humanity and die for their sins. That was the action of him going into the water. Sinful men had to be baptized. Sinful men had to have their sins washed away. Jesus said, I'm going to identify as a sinful man. And as a result of that sin, I am going to be buried, buried die. I'm going to die and be buried. And then uh, that would pay the price for the sins for everybody once and for all. Now, then he said, I, then when he comes out of the water cleansed humanity, cleansed from their sin because of Jesus. Jesus says, I will rise again. I will go into the water as taking the place of sinful man, but because I have no sin, I can pay for their sins and I can rise again. And that's the plan. That's the redemption plan. Jesus dying in the place of sinful man and rising again because he paid the price for sinful man. Well then, and then what we see in the baptism is that the, the voice of God said, this is my son whom I will well please. God said, it is acceptable to me. I accept this. And then we see the Holy Spirit, like the notary republic, comes down and puts his stamp of a seal of approval on it. We see the contract was accepted, we know, in every single gospel. Even in the gospel, they didn't really cover the baptism. Still covered the acceptance of this contract. Let's look like quick. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went, up, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove 
and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The contract was accepted by the Father with the stamp of the notary of the Republic and the Holy Spirit on the contract. We see Mark 1, 10 and 11 says, And straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there was a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God was pleased with the deal that Jesus was proposing. Luke 3, 21-22 said, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens was opened, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and lo, and a voice came from heaven and said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. God said, I accept this contract, and I am pleased that you're willing to offer your life for those, for these people that don't deserve it. And finally, John 32 through 34, which really doesn't talk about the baptism at all. John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. And I saw him bear record that this is a son. See, John, interesting enough, was the witness to the contract. So not only was there a contract, there was a witness who signed off here in John. Because this is not a recording of the baptism in John, as we will see. But this was a, this was a statement to the Pharisees after the fact. So John said, I bear witness to it. Um, Jesus died for our sins, was buried, rose the third day to show us that God has accepted his son's sacrifice. Therefore, we can be resurrected to new life. That is the redemption contract. See, Jesus baptized to fulfill all righteousness, we're told. He should be baptized to demonstrate our faith in this kind. We should be baptized, sorry. We should be baptized to demonstrate our faith in that contract. That's why we get baptized. We don't get baptized. We get baptized as a sign. We get baptized as a sign that we're part of that contract that Jesus signed. That just as Jesus took on sinful man and went into the water and was resurrected because of new life, because he paid for our sins and God accepted it, we as sinful man, relying upon Jesus' death, we can point our death towards the death that Jesus had when he died and was buried. We are died and buried, but we're buried in the baptism of Jesus Christ. We're baptized under that same contract. We die under that contract of eternal life because we're trusting in the Savior. We're trusting in that contract. You see? So our act of baptism demonstrates to the world that we are beneficiaries of that redemption contract. Now, if you've never been baptized, let me just take this opportunity to tell you, seek out your pastor to do so, get baptized. You want to be a part of that contract. Now, do you have to be baptized? No, but you want to let the world know that you are part of that contract. The contract that Jesus lived a sinful, lived a sinless life in place of sinful man and was died in our place. And because he arose, we can arise also. And God said, this is pleasing to me. And the Holy Spirit sealed it.
So now once the contract was signed, though, the plan was approved. Jesus had to be tested to show that he was up to the challenge. You know, anybody can sign a contract, but now you got to live up to the contract. Sometimes signing a contract is the easiest thing you can do. Fulfilling that contract becomes more difficult. You know, okay, now you got the job. Now what do you do? Uh, we see Satan himself is allowed to tempt the Holy Son of God. Uh, we see Jesus is tested in, with human desires that we all face. That gives him a connection to our temptations. His testing was aligned to our temptations. Um, we see that to make it fair in this temptation, Jesus actually weakens his own human body by denying it food and water. Remember, Jesus is all God and all man. And therefore, he had to weaken his human body to show that his human body would not fall into sin. God cannot sin. Could the human Jesus sin? He could not because he's not separated. <laughs> you can't separate the God Jesus from the God man because they're one and the same. So now, what is the temptation of Jesus and why was it needed? So the first thing we get we were talking about is, is Jesus subject to being tempted? You know, in their attempt to deny the deity of Jesus, Muslims sometimes refer to this, that Jesus was tempted, and since God cannot be tempted, therefore Jesus could not be God. Well, James chapter 1, verse 13 says, as we know, it says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And we also see in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So we see the Bible said God cannot be tempted, but then here we see that it says in Hebrews 4.15 that Jesus was tempted. So you see that there's, uh, uh, there's a conflict here. Well, there's not really a conflict, and we'll look at that. So first of all, is it possible for God to be tempted? The answer, by the way, is yes. It is possible for God to be tempted. Now, I'll show you Psalms 106, 13, 15 says, They soon forgot his works. This was talking about the, the Israelites. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. See, they were tempted. So, so we see here the word tempt. The word here used for Hebrew and tempt it means is uh, nasal, N-A-S-A-W, nasal. Now, according to the Enhanced Strong Lexicon, that word means to test, try, prove, tempt, assay, put to the proof or test. So therefore we see that God was, uh, uh, that we see that, that God was tempted in the desert, but he was really tested. Do we test God? We do test God. Uh, uh, go, look, there was an example of when um, um, 
Gideon. Gideon tested God. He tested to see if God's word was true. He gave, he laid a fleece down, right? That was a test of God. That was tempting God, you could say. It would be a similar, similar phrase. See, he was testing God. How many times do we say, God, uh, you know, if this is the way it is, then do this for me. You know, show me a sign. We're testing God. God, if you want me to do this, then I believe it's testing God. Are we testing God? Do we put God to the test? You know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with testing God. Putting our faith in practice. That's important. Leaning on God. Testing God by giving Him the ability, the opportunity to get us out of trouble. Leaning upon Him. We're trying Him. We're proving Him. And that's why we can tempt. So can He be tempted? And that way, He is tested. Uh, How often do we hear parents say to their children, Don't test me. Hear it? Don't you test me now, youngin. Right? Uh, That's coming from a parent or a boss. In the New Testament, when Jesus is tempted in Matthew chapter 4, the word that is used in the Greek is parisio. And according to the Hans Strong lexicon, here's the definition. One, to try whether a thing can be done. To try whether a thing can be done. The second one, to try, make trial of, test, for the purpose of ascertaining his quality, his quality his quantity or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. And the third one is to try or test one's faith, virtue, character by enticement to sin. So you see, only one of these actually deals with what we would consider the word tempt to mean. So understand when we use the word here, it's really more appropriately thought of as testing and not tempting. So why did Jesus get tested? So we know really this is not the temptation of Christ because he cannot be tempted with evil. But it's the testing of Jesus. So why did Jesus get tested? Well, Jesus came as a man to fulfill the law of God and to be the sacrifice for sin. He did this as a man. Uh, When he resisted the temptation of the devil... He quoted scripture as a man. Jesus did not rely upon his divine nature when when doing his earthly ministry. Remember, he temporarily set aside the things. Jesus, during his earthly time here on earth, was not omnipotent. He was not all-powerful. Was he always? He was always all-powerful. He could not not be all-powerful, but he did not utilize that attribute. He did not use his his attribute of power. Uh, we know that uh, uh, he did. He was not omnipresent. He was in one location at one time. Why? Where was he? People had to go find him. People asked, "Where's Jesus?" And they had to go find him because he was only in one location. So he was not omnipresent. He was not omniscient. Uh, omni- he did not know everything. Why, Jesus said, no man knows the time or they are not even the Son, but the Father only. Why, he temporarily set aside those divine attributes so that he could live his life like a man, so that he could die in our place. He could be tested like we are in all areas like a man. So therefore, his ability to fight against sin had to be done based upon his abilities that we as man have and not as he as God has. 
For if he was to fight against the devil, against with the powers that God had, that would have been no, that would not have been a comparison at all. So Jesus uses his ability as a man. Remember now, he was 30 years old. He had studied the scriptures. He knew the word of God. He prepared himself for this. So when he signed the contract for the redemption contract, he knew he was going to live his life as a man. He had to be as a man to go into that water, to go into the death, the resur- to, to die as a man. He had to do that. So he had to live his life as a man, not as a God. So we see this. So as a man, he was tempted or tested. And as a man, he resisted this temptation by relying on God's word. Could he have rebuked Satan at any time? He could have destroyed Satan in a flash. Satan may be a powerful being, but he is no match to the Almighty God. There is no one, there is no power more powerful than God himself. And Jesus is God himself. There are three in one. The thought, by his thought, Satan could have been wiped out of existence. But he came to be a man. To show us how to fight against Satan and the, 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 the temptations, the testing and trials that come our way. Even in Jesus' ministry, Jesus did not cast out demons by his own power. Look at Matthew chapter 12 and verse 28. Matthew chapter 12 verse 28. Jesus tells us, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See, Jesus exercised the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not even use his own power while he was here on earth. Everything that he did, all the healings that he did, all the great miracles that he did was not doing it by himself. That was the miracles that were performed by the Holy Spirit that was within him. Jesus, matter of fact, said, the things that you've seen me do, you can do greater things than these if you do it in my name. In the name of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can do those things. He said, I must depart because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, I must send the Comforter to you so that you can do great things. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit exercised that power here on earth while Jesus was a man. Jesus exercised the thing that Jesus did we can do through the Holy Spirit. You say, how can that be? Because God said so. Now, we don't do things like that because we don't have faith. And that's one of the things that we don't do. And that's a whole different discussion for another day. The question here is, Jesus did not fight against the devil with the power of God. He fought against the devil with the power of the Holy Spirit. Guiding him to bring up the words that he already knew. You know, I always said this, my my daughter and my son, I told them when they were going to school, we would always pray that, I told them that when I was taking tests in school, I always prayed, Lord, I don't ask you to give me the answers that I don't know because I don't think that would be fair. I don't want you to give me something I've not worked for. That would be uh, uh, not, not the right thing to do. But I can ask you to help me remember the things that I already know. The things that I spent time studying. Don't let me stumble over something and miss out on something that I know the right answer to. You know, 
uh, uh, there was a uh, a famous there's a famous preacher here uh, that is actually became uh, he was a Southern Baptist preacher became governor of Arkansas and was a presidential candidate um, and um, um, my name name leaves me right at this moment but uh, it'll come back to me in a minute but but uh, he said this when they were asking him a question about uh, somebody using some foul language towards uh, a, the former a former president that we had, and they asked him, was this type of language disturbing to him uh, related to their use of that type of language towards the president of the United States? And um, the, uh, the, the, the former governor and former uh, Baptist preacher, he said, no, not really. He said, the view is, if it ain't in you, it ain't going to come out of you. You understand me? If it ain't in you, it can't come out of you. So that's true about here. If you don't have the if you don't have the word of God in you, it can't come out of you. Just like sin. If you don't have these sins, if you don't have this foul language and, and foul things, if you aren't listening to these foul music out there, there are people using these foul language in their songs. If you don't hear that, then, then it's not in you. But if we allow our children to listen to this foul, really devil music, it's devil music. If you listen to that devil music and we say, well, it's just their music. If you allow them to listen to that, you're filling their hearts and minds with, de- with demon music. Things that are controlled by Satan because it's not of God. It's not of God, it's of Satan. Things are black and white. People say, you know, there's gray areas. There's Some things are gray and some things are not. Devil music is devil music. If anything that's not godly music is devil music. You understand that? If it's leading our children's hearts astray, uh, people using these foul languages don't even think about it. Don't even think about the consequences of it. So the point is, though, that's evil. But the same is true of good things. If we want our children to know the gospel of God, we got to put it in them. we got to get them to church so they can learn. We got to work with them on making sure that they're doing some type of daily Bible study. They got to be, you got to talk with your children about God. I have conversations with my daughter all the time about God. We're in our cars. Most every conversation we have, we're usually talking something about God along the way because Jesus is part of our lives. He controls our lives, so he's a part of our conversation and our daily talks. And if he's in your life, he should be the same. The point is, Jesus had the word of God in him because his family spoke of God. Mary and Joseph, they grow, they raised them to worship God and to study the word that they had. And Jesus filled his heart with the word of God. So when he went into the wilderness, he didn't go in there with an empty quiver. His quiver was full. He could pull out plenty of the different arrows of the word of God to fire it appropriately and to fight the, the, the temptations of the devil. So we see Jesus was tempted in, in his human nature, not his divine. He did not rely upon his divine side to help him. He completely relied upon the Father, the Holy Spirit, and God's Word to successfully resist the temptations or testings that came his way. That's who we should rely upon when things come our way. Now, Jesus had to prove his ability to overcome uh, the possibility of sin. He had to prove his ability. So first of all, since Jesus is God, 
We already read that Jesus could not sin, right? Let no man say we is tempted. I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth thee any man. In Hebrews 4.15, we already read, For we have a high priest which cannot be touched with our feelings of infirmities, but in all points tempted like we are, that is, yet without sin, tested. So we know Jesus could not sin. Therefore, we can conclude that Jesus could not have sinned, but that he could be tempted or tested. He could not have a sinful option. He could have a sinful option uh, presented to him as was presented to God in the wilderness, yet Jesus would not have sinned. He could not sin because he was God, but he had to have the sinful options presented to him. He had to be tested. You know, he said it like this. Uh, I, I don't drink, never have, never. I'm 61 years old, never drunk. Now, let me tell you, is that a temptation for me? People can offer me. I can be around alcohol with different types of events that I have to attend. And I'm not tempted by that at all. I don't think, man, I sure would love to taste that. See, I have no temptation. It's not a temptation for me. It's a temptation. Drinking alcohol is a alcohol in the present is a temptation, right? Alcohol, drug, they're temptations. It's not a temptation for me. It's a test. Am I going to fall into it? People offer you a drink. That's a temptation or a test. No, thank you. I don't drink. Actually, I shouldn't say no, thank you. Just simply say, no, I don't drink. And then I always say, I don't drink because. I was saved at 10 years old, and I believed that that was something wrong for me to do. And as a free will Baptist, by the way, as an original free will Baptist, our church constitution says that drinking is a sin, that we should abstain from all appearances of evil, that we should not involve ourselves in any way with the sales, use, or, or distribution of any alcoholic beverages. So therefore, as an original free will Baptist, if you're involved in drinking, and I'm going to tell you this because I see this in our churches. I see our young people in their 20s out there with a beer in their hand. Yet the next thing I see is I see them talking about God. I'm going to tell you what. That is a sin, folks. It is a sin. You say, well, drinking is not a sin. If you're an original free will Baptist, you've signed a commitment as part of a church that you will not drink. Therefore, as an original free will Baptist, and you're doing it, you are sinning. If your church has a constitution, a thing about alcohol, and you're doing it, you are sinning. That's a sin. Now, if your church doesn't have that ordinance or whatever, that may be a different story. And that's something for a talk about another day. But I'm just telling you, in our denomination, for those of you that are listening to me at Branch Chapel or others that are free will Baptists, original free will Baptists, I'm telling you, to drink or involved in alcohol is a sin. There's a Bible that says a sin. Bible says you have to keep your oaths. And as a free will Baptist, we abstain from that. And therefore, if you're doing it, you're sinning. Okay? Plain and simple. Don't I digress. Anyway. But we can conclude that the temptation, they were, there's a difference between test, t- temptation and testing. When did the temptation take place? So we see that, first of all, as back just to just summarize that. So remember, Jesus could not sin, but he could be tested. People say, well, what does that mean? He, he could be tested. His human nature could be tested. But he could not fall into sin because he's God and God cannot sin. And God cannot be tempted with evil. But Satan still tested him. Now, when did the temptation take place or the testing take place? Now, some people debate on that. Uh, Matthew says 
Then, right after the baptism, Matthew 4, 1, then was Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Luke says, Jesus returned from Jordan and was led, which could have meant some time between the two events, right? Luke 4, 1, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So it could have been some time lapsed here, it says. Uh, John adds even more confusion to the surface, on the surface, on the surface, by not discussing the temptation at all, by not discussing the temptation at all, but says that John the Baptist saw Jesus the next day and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So John doesn't talk about the temptation at all because Matthew, Mark, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke does. So John doesn't even talk about it. Remember, John is the gospel that kind of summarizes the things and gives you the more intimate details that were not covered in the three synoptic gospels. John is more about Passion Week. More, it tells you more about the inner workings of what happened with Jesus. And in his last days. And, and from a personal account that was not covered by the other three that were giving the general overview of Jesus' life. John 1, 35-36 says, Again the next day after John stood, that's John the Baptist, and two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Now, people would say this was this occurred right after the baptism. So he said the next day John saw him with two of his disciples. First of all, remember, this event is not after the baptism. See, John... The Apostle John does not cover Jesus' baptism. He doesn't cover Jesus' baptism, and he doesn't cover his temptation. See, uh, John talks about an event with the Pharisees. The Pharisees came to John the Baptist and was confronting him. And then John tells them about Jesus. John the Baptist becomes a witness to these Pharisees. And during this discourse, when he's telling him about Jesus and about how Jesus came and was baptized and how he saw the Holy Spirit descending upon him, Jesus happened to pass by with, and, and John pointed him out and said, Behold the Messiah. The next day after the day that they were, uh, he first started talking to the Pharisees. That's the next day, not the next day after. Mark helps us out here. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Jesus, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. See, Mark clears it all up by saying, after he was baptized, immediately. So there was no time that passed. See, we know that the Spirit, it says the Spirit driveth. So Jesus started his ministry by being driven by the Holy Spirit. What better way to start a ministry than being driven by the Holy Spirit? Uh, this is uh, currently when we're recording this. This happens to be October the 3rd, 2021. Next Sunday, Lord willing, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm going to be ordained. I'm going to tell you, I hope that the Spirit driveth me in my ministry. As I begin that new phase of my ministry, that the Spirit driveth me just like he drove Jesus. We should, when we get saved, we should allow the Holy Spirit to drive us. When God calls us into a ministry, we should be driven by the Spirit.
Here it says there was no time between the signing of the redemption contract with Jesus, God the Father and the seal of the Holy Spirit. The ink, you could say, was still wet when Jesus was driven into the wilderness for the sole purpose of being tested by Satan. So, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew 4, we're going to focus on Matthew, uh, Matthew's account. Jesus was led into the place of temptation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. It said, then was Jesus was then led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. After signing the redemption contract through his baptism, Jesus now begins to execute the contract. Yeah, this was a this temptation, this testing was a was a necessary part of his ministry. Uh, because he was truly led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It's a remarkable contract, isn't it? Between the glorious, the glory following Jesus' baptism when the Holy Spirit comes down and everything, and then the challenge of being tempted by the devil. You know, don't we always see this in our life also? You know, right after we have a great victory or a great high, spiritually speaking, then suddenly we face temptation or testing of our faith and often experience a spiritual low. I mean, we saw this in the life of some of our forefathers, Elijah, after defeating the prophets of Baal and having God send down the fire and consume all of it. Then he ran from Jezebel. After John the Baptist, after baptizing Jesus and seeing the Messiah, had questions while he was in prison. Peter, after working with the Gentile Christians in Antioch and seeing great results, uh, he had Peter had to be rebuked by Paul for his hypocrisy when the other Jews showed up and he started shunning the others. We see, we see even these great spiritual men of God had their peaks and their valleys. So after Jesus had his baptism experience, he went into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him to be tested. So here Jesus experienced a spiritual high by getting this redemption contract approved by the Father and sealed by the Holy Spirit, the Bible then tells us in Mark chapter 1, as we saw, immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. The cool waters of Jordan were now replaced with the barren wilderness. The huge crowd now becomes solitude and silence. The Spirit rested like a dove. Now the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. The voice of the Father calling the beloved Son now was replaced with the hiss of Satan, the tempter. The anointed is now the attacked. The water baptism is now the fire of temptation. First the heavens open and now hell. You see, Jesus went from the high to the low instantly. Now, Jesus didn't need temptation to help him grow. We are tested. God allows us to be tested to grow our faith. You know, a baby can't learn to walk without stretching up and falling down. Getting up and falling down. 
uh, a runner has to learn to walk and then slowly, bit by bit, push their bodies. When their bodies are screaming in pain, there's a movie I saw and we saw for our youth to saw at summer camp this summer entitled, it was entitled Overcomers. If you're not seeing that movie, it's a good movie. How to overcome, and the point was this: the, the runner was instructed that your body's going to start hurting at this point. Don't let it take control. You've got to force yourself to keep going. Others will quit at this point, but not you. Not you. You will get a second win. You will ignore your body's cry. You will keep pushing forward and you will win the day because you will not allow your body to win the victory. That's what we have to do in our lives. When sin comes upon us, God will tempt us to make us stronger. And because of this, this woman here became the, became the, the state champion and went on to win gold medals. Why? Because she learned to overcome her body's desires for rest for stopping but in this case here jesus didn't need that that was not the purpose of him going into the wilderness our temptation is to test us to get us to grow now god doesn't tempt us with evil but satan does the same thing that becomes a test can become a temptation food we need to eat food there are a lot of times there's good food that we can eat Eating too much of good food, food then becomes a temptation. You understand? So good can become bad. Um, anything of a good, anything, I always heard this, too much of a good thing is always bad for you? It can be. You know, I see people get these diet foods and it says, you know, there's only, there's low fat in it. And so you each serving is only uh, so much like maybe two grams of fat. But then what you do, you eat the entire bag, and the bag had 20 servings. <laughs> so you ate 80 grams of fat. <laughs> You've been better off getting a candy bar, you see. So sometimes the good things can be, God gives you good things, and sometimes those good things can be temptation for us. But in this case, we know that he endured temptations both so that he could identify with us. Hebrews, the purpose of temptation was not to test him, but to, to, to make him show his worthiness to be able to identify with us. Hebrews 2.18 says, For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that is tempted. And then Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it was all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And the Holy Spirit cannot tempt us James 1.13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. See, the Holy Spirit may lead us to a place where we will be, where we will be tested. Uh, this is not to prove something to God, who knows all things, but to prove something to us. See, God gives us opportunities to grow. We only grow by testing ourselves, by testing our faith, by being spiritually, by lying, relying upon God to grow in our faith. We can overcome things. Now, tempted by the devil. Temptation is certainly, is certainty, is a certainty for everybody. Yet Jesus' tempting or testing was severe. It was more severe because he was tempted directly by the devil himself. You know, while we contend mainly with lesser demons, 
James 1.14 said, But let every man, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, we don't even need devil. Our own sinfulness inside us tempts us. You know, there used to be a guy named Flip Wilson who used to say, The devil made me do it. Well, you know what? Most of the time, the devil's in us. Our sinful flesh. Paul said, The good I would do, I do it not. The evil I would not do, that I do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. See, Jesus didn't have that. But we have that in our own self. We're drawn away from our own lust. So don't think the demons are making us do things. We're doing it because we are weak in the flesh. Now, do Satan deal with people? He does. He attacks the high mighty. How do you think these mighty ministers of God who are strong servants of God fall? They're tempted by Satan, by demons. Jesus' testing is also more severe because there's a sense that temptation is relieved by giving in. When we give in to temptation, we have a sense of relief, but then we have a sense of, of dread and of disgust of our own self. Therefore, Jesus bore levels of temptations that we'll never know because he did not give in. Jesus lasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Matthew points out both the barren desert and the Judean wilderness was and is precisely that. It is barren. And Jesus' severe physical condition after such a long last, he was really dehydrated and starving. Uh, it says that when he hunger pains return after such a fast, he was hungry. It indicates the subject is beginning to starve to death. After a long time of not eating, it says he was hungry, meaning he was starving to death. And according to metal experts, a person can survive 8 to 21 days without food or water. They say the body can only survive 3 days without water. So we see, first of all, this was a miracle in itself, but one that God has performed before. So it wasn't something that he did for Jesus that he didn't do for others. Uh, Moses, Exodus 34, 28, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. So when Jesus, with God provided for him without eating and drinking water. So Moses survived. Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 8, and he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of the meat Went, went, uh, went in the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb the Mount of God. So we see that Moses and Elijah both survived 40 days without food or drink. So it wasn't something that God had not done before. So Jesus survived those days. It, but it was a supernatural and not a human capacity that was enabled by the Holy Spirit. 40 days and 40 nights. This is a similar period of testing in the Bible, right? I mean, both the days of Noah... And Israel in the wilderness. But Jesus succeeded where Israel as a nation had failed. Luke says Jesus was tempted every day during the 40 days. And not just the last day. Luke 4.2. Being 40 days tempted of the devil. These three tests were saved for the last. The 40 days without food was not self-denial just for the sake of self-denial. Or worse yet, for the sake of spiritual pride. This was a period of forced dependence upon God the Father. Hebrews 5.8, we see Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Quote, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. See, Jesus put his body into submission to the will of the Father. And if that meant starvation... He would do it.
conclusion. We're running out of time for today. This is part A. We will finish it next week. We will look at the temptations themselves in next week's lessons. But we learned today that Jesus was tested, not tempted. And we learned about the uh, the we learned a lot about the location, and we learned uh, the timing period, and we learned the that we ourselves are going to learn how Jesus overcomes testing, and we can do the same in our lives. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity that we have, that we can come and we can learn of you and we can study your word and we can see how great, Lord, you provide us the paths to show us how we can do the great things through the Holy Spirit, that we can do the same things you did if we relied upon your spirit, if we fill our hearts with the word of God, we can pull them out of our quiver and fire them when we need to, to survive the temptations or testings that come. Let We can make those temptations only be tests because we can survive through your holy word. Again, we thank you, Lord, for all you do for us, for your mighty blessings. And I pray now, Lord, that you would bless this to your service. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. I thank you for your time, your attention today. Uh, I, I know this has been a uh, part B, part A, I mean. Look forward to part B next week. And um, I thank you for uh, being here. Look forward to it next week. See you then.